Jackie graduated with her bachelor's from there too. <laughs> She's smarter than me, it's true though, it really is. Hallelujah, well praise God, Amen. you can be seated. We're just delighted to be with you. Uh, I'm Doug Wingate, this is my wife Susan. She is also Dr. Susan Wingate. So we're a paradox. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, and, and it's interesting because uh, we have uh, been in ministry higher education training other ministers now for 29 years and um i know ancient of days <laughs> you know, we're, we're there but um it's just a delight to be used of the lord in any way that god has Amen. every single one of us are uniquely called to represent him in some way and and we have divine destinies that we want to fulfill and um so anyway, we, we're just so delighted to be able to talk about what we're going to be talking about tonight because uh, our experience as uh, husband and wife as Christians and then with our kids, raising kids that now two of our sons work for us in the, at the university. And um, our daughter is now a very successful hairdresser. And so, yeah, we feel like we're seeing the, now we don't have grandkids yet. We had kids late. A little late. A little bit late. My, all of my friends have grandkids that are age, they, they have grandkids that are age of my kids. <laughs> so. And I want to preface, we got started late. We had our first son. We were seven years into being married. And our daughter, though we'd been believing for, she didn't come for 14 years. But God still had a plan for her. And she is a delight. And so she's just a treasure for us. In fact, yesterday we were talking, just last night, we were just sitting around the counter of the kitchen and, and just kind of talking about our childhood and just laughing about some things. And she said, we have two older boys and of course she's the baby. She said, you know, there's something about being the baby. She says, you know, a baby, the, the, the baby of two older brothers, she says, you know, life really did revolve around me. And we're like, yeah, it really did. But um, she's, you know, she is precious. And she said, you know, I'm glad I didn't have a sister. I'm like, I, which shocked me. And I said, why is that? She said, because then I would have had to share my stuff. But most of all, I would have had to share my dad. And so her dad is her treasure too. She loves her dad. And that's just a testament of what happens when you do it God's way. And God has an, an impartation into your family and to raise up those kids that carry that on. And there's just a love that, that occurs that doesn't come any other way that, um, you know, this generation, we just, we just pray that it gets passed down, that you become the, the mothers and the fathers that God has desired for you to be. Amen. And, you know, we serve a God who's timeless and the word of God is timeless. So every generation, even though we see culture shifts and all these other changes, uh, the word and the relationship with the Lord he wants to have with us remains the same. And, uh, you know, it's like, it, it's hard to believe. I'm in my jubilee year of being a Christian. That's the, after you turn, after 49 years of being saved, I'm in my jubilee year this year. And I'm expecting, of course, a sevenfold return from everything the devil stole from me over the last 49 years to be restored in my life. And, uh, but, you know, I got saved when I was 23. So yeah, I know, and you know, days, you know, but I was blessed to marry Marilyn Monroe here. Uh, 
you know, who's younger than I am. And, uh, and so she was, she was happy to come on board at the time. And yet I was in ministry for a period of time before we met. And, um, and she, she jumped in, but then the Lord told me, he says, uh, she's got to have the same ministry education you've got. And I'd gone to Raymond Bible Training College in 2000, I mean, 1980, and then I graduated 82. So we went back out for her to go to Rhema, 1988 to 90. So I tell everybody, I, I did the Rhema experience twice, hallelujah, you know, for her to go. But, um, so, but going all the way back, before I was saved, I mean, I used to be cool. <laughs> I mean, way more than 50 years ago. I was it happens cool. to everybody. So, you just yeah, wait and yeah. see. But my daughter gave me some socks yesterday that said, number one dad, you know, so I don't care about being cool. I'm a number one dad. <laughs> but when I was 18 years old, uh, the band I was in, we opened for Jimi Hendrix, the Jimi Hendrix experience. You probably, nobody, no matter what age you are, you all know about Jimi Hendrix. Did, you, did anybody know about Chuck Berry? Okay, I played drums on tour for Chuck Berry when I was 20 years old. So I was cool. And then I got saved and delivered from being cool, <laughs> which is so much more important. And, um, <laughs> but you know, the thing is, that the things that the Lord has fashioned us for, what he's really got in store for our life. I'm one of those, as a matter of fact, if a friend of mine wrote a book called uh, Unlikely, Rick Renner, and, uh, but if I wrote a, just a, you know, a book, I mean, my third and fourth book are coming out right now, but if I just did an autobiography, it would have to be least likely because I was a drug, drug addicted, alcoholic, rock and roll drummer who got saved. And for the last 29 years, we've had ministry education that we provide. We have of Life Christian University graduates, we have 21,000 ministers of the gospel ministering in 24 nations on five continents. And our graduation this June, we've got people coming as far away as Zimbabwe to come. So that's fun to see. Yeah. And so for God to use me to do that, it's like, listen, anything can happen. Yeah. yeah. And he can use anyone. He could just, you know, remember what um, Paul told us. He says, consider your calling. How to, not many noble among us. Or it's that God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So we all qualify. Yeah. Hallelujah. If we were foolish, that's okay. But, you know, talking about what we want to go in tonight, and, and uh, you know, it's just wonderful. You're talking about dating, marriage, and parenting. Well, let me just ask, how many, how many single people do we have in the room tonight? Okay, there's a lot of single people. Of you single people, do you want to be an overcomer? There's Praise God. Okay. I hope every single single person wants to be <laughs> An overcomer. Well, you're going to have to get married and have children because right now you don't really have anything to overcome. <laughs> so to be an overcomer, get married, have children. But you find out doing it God's way, you can do it successfully. Yeah. And uh, you have to deal. We're going to deal with some things that are, that are myths. Like how many of you have ever heard this statement? And you might have even thought that it was a Bible scripture. The man is the head of the house, or the husband is the head of the house. Anybody ever heard that before? How many of you think it's in the Bible? I'm glad that you know that was a trick question. It's not in the Bible. <laughs> it might be in your IRS documents when you, you know, pay your taxes every, every year. You're, you're, the, the insurance company is going to say that, but God never said that. What he says is the 
husband is the head of the wife, and together they are the they are the head of the house because the wife has the same authority over everything in the house. We just have a relationship where we need to do it God's way, where there's a covering. We're going to find out and go through some of those things tonight, uh, what, what the Lord wants to do and the response that the Lord wants to bring out of us. I don't think I even need those notes, but let me just, uh, those are just, those are cheat notes just in case the professor in me comes out because sometimes, you know, stuff like that happens. But let me just go way back to the beginning. And Pastor Dominic and Pastor Jackie, they're just such a blessing to us. We're just so delighted to be here with Amen. you guys. And, 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 and for us to watch how successfully they're pastoring this church, we realize that's, the Lord calls this, as a matter of fact, I heard Brother Hagen say this when I was a student at Raymond. He said, um, listen, my God did, my mom did not raise a fool. He says, what you guys are going to be doing, graduates of Rhema Bible Training College, is you all, the, the Lord's going to give me a little piece of the reward of everything you do. <laughs> so I, we feel like we're going to, a little piece of the reward for everything that happens in this church and all of our graduates because we're connected, we're family. But uh, we have to go back to the beginning. You mentioned this already. And I'm reading here from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us, who is us, Father, Word, and Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't become the Son until he took on human flesh. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the, verse 14 he says, and he became one of us. He took on human flesh, became one with us. So the Father and the Word and the Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and then let them have dominion. We won't go through the, everything, but we realize God still gave humans dominion in life, and he wants to give us that dominion back. Jesus Amen. came to die in our place so that we could have the dominion restored back to us. Adam and Eve lost it, but it was intended by God to come back to us. Then the 27th verse says this, and this is interesting. Listen how it gets repeated. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Isn't that interesting? He said it twice. What he's getting ready to tell us is, in the next phrase of this particular verse, male and female, he created them. That it's with the male and female that come into union. Because later on we find out the first time Adam sees Eve, he says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call her woman, which was basically like a whistle, a wolf whistle. I have never, ever seen the perfect match for me. And glory to God, I am happy to be one flesh with her. Amen. <laughs> and so he was so excited about what God had done because over the years he's watched, you know, however long it was, God, every, God created all these creatures out of the dust and brought them to Adam to see what he would name them. And whatever he named them, God said, that is a super anointed brain. <laughs> and so anyway, when the match, he didn't see any match for him. Like all the others came in twos. But he didn't have a match for himself. Then God says, here she is. This was the real reason that God created the universe. His whole purpose was have the human race created exactly in his image. Amen. And the wow. thing that reflects his image the most is when it is the husband and the wife doing it this, the right way as one flesh. So he said this again. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
male and female, he created them to be one flesh. So we're, when we do it right as husbands and wives and then having a family, we are the only true representation to the rest of the world of the image of our heavenly father and the image of Jesus himself, of how he created us to actually live and be blessed in this life and this earth. So now we just both really love this um, marriage seminar series that's called um, Love and Respect. And uh, Love and Respect, we're going to find out, comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. And the Apostle Paul, you know, it's, am it's amazing how many people think they become Christians and they come in and the, women's, they, they, the women come in and they, they start reading about Jesus and say, you know, it's easy to love Jesus. He is great. But the Apostle Paul seems to be like somewhat of a sexist pig. Man, he's hard to deal with, you know, because trust me, it's all mis mistranslations of the scripture. Paul is the one who had this understanding of the love of God. And he laid out the truth of what's really going to work for us. So we have to go to the word and take a look at what he was really actually saying. And uh, so we're going to find out there's a lot of times where people say, yeah, but yeah, he says, he, I, I don't allow a, a woman to have authority over a man. Well, the same Greek word for woman is the same Greek word for wife. The same Greek word for man is the same Greek word for husband. He says, I don't allow a wife to have authority over her husband. That's all he was saying. And when he was saying, I don't let the women speak in church, people thought, well, he didn't allow people, he didn't allow women in the ministry. Did you ever hear of Priscilla and Aquila? <laughs> Priscilla and Aquila, those two are mentioned seven times in four books of the New Testament. And five of the times that they're mentioned there, Priscilla's name was first. And they travel with the Apostle Paul. And she was the speaker. She was the Joyce Meyer of the early church. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he had women speaking. He never said to not speak in church to deliver the word. There were actually five more women that traveled with, with Paul and, he, and had greetings. And some of them, it appears that they were the pastors of churches. Because God calls spirits, not genders, to the ministry. And so we've extracted this from the word with better study. And we understand these truths. But what he was saying, I don't allow the wives to interrupt the service calling out to their husband. Because we've been to India. We've got 20 campuses across India. And uh, I remember the first time I was there. And I was shocked, you know, because they all came out of the Hindu culture. And... All the women are sitting on one side of the church and all the men are on the other side. And that was a pastor's conference. And then you go to the individual churches and I saw that uh, all the women are on one side and all the men on the other. And the pastors don't even know who's connected to each other, who's married to the other person. <laughs> and so in the day of the church in the early, all the men were in the front and the women were in the back. So you have to examine a little bit of the culture of the day you find out. The women were asking their husbands questions in the middle of the service and calling out. And Paul says, I can't allow that right now. You have to ask your husband at home. Because they finally got it right when he says, just ask your husband at home. But at any rate, we see just wonderful things in the word of God. Now, Paul starts talking in Ephesians 5 about walking in love and then walking in wisdom. So I want to pick it up here at verse 15. He says, see then you walk circumspectly, specifically, uh, uh, in, um, 
Walk circumspectly, that is, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Well, listen, if the days were evil then, how much more in the last of the last days are we seeing the evil? Now, the same evil has always been here on the planet. It's just suddenly coming around. How many of you thought five years ago we watched the whole world celebrating Sodom and Gomorrah? But I'm telling you what, it's a, Satan is the conspirer against the human race. And so he's doing all these things to destroy the human race as much as he can. I believe he's, got, he's using reverse psychology. He wants to have the vast majority of the people on the planet on their way to hell so that God would just finally at the last minute say, I can't send all of them to hell. I'll just have to create a blanket amnesty. And if he did that, made sure there was a blanket amnesty for all the human race, he would have to include Satan and all the fallen angels. He's trying to get his salvation by causing so many millions and billions of humans going to hell. But it's just not going to work that way. He's already judged in the word of God. And so we find out he's trying to disrupt all of this. But God is saying, redeem the time because it's always going to be evil. You're always going to need to have the Lord close by. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine where it is dissipation. Dissipation is the stupidest word that's ever been put in the Bible. The word here from the Greek is asotia, and it means anti-salvation. So being drunk or stoned or anything else, your mind is not able to hear the voice of the Lord. It's going to work against your salvation. It's not going to be a benefit to you. So he's saying a simple thing, be filled with the Spirit. Go ahead and get drunk in the Spirit. Get drunk in worship. Get into the presence of God where you can't even see straight. Because it's going to do you some good. <laughs> and you're going to get all the blessing of knowing yeah, the Lord and His right. will in life. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks to the Lord for all things. And to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now he's talking to the whole church. But he's telling all of you need to understand how to submit to one another in the fear of God. Being a kind person and a nice person. And so he puts that right before he goes into what we actually find out is a description of the mystery of Christ and the church. But he shows that illustration by showing the reality of a wife and a husband. Now, if there's any place that I would, if I could, be St. Paul's editor, the Apostle Paul. If I could edit him at any place, it would have been at this point where he says, submitting to yourselves one to another in, in fear of God, and then he starts with the wives. If I could have him start with the husbands, it would have ended up half of the problems that we've got people saying, listen, that is just, listen, the world, if they look at this next verse, these women's brains are going to explode and blood is going to be squirting out of their eyes. Because it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It says, you Christians are nutcases. Are you kidding me? No way I'm going to do that. Because they don't understand the reference. It really should go first to the husbands. Husband, love your wives just like Christ loved the church. And he, what did he do? He laid his life down for the church. See, the way God built men that become normal men and husbands and women who become normal women and wives, that the man is actually ready to, he would die for you. How many of you are married couples here? Let me get a show it. Praise God, the right group. Praise God for married couples in today's world. <laughs> Amen. Because the world, they, they, don't, they don't even want to get married anymore. 
they all grew up with such a dysfunctional family. So many people did. You know, maybe we got saved out of a dysfunctional family. My wife and I are blessed. My parents were married 63 years, and then my mom graduated and went home to be with the Lord at 85. And my dad lived to be 89. Uh, her parents are still alive. They're both 86, and they've been married, like, for 64 years. Wow. We've been weird. married for 35 years, but we got a long way to go to catch up with these people. Are you kidding me? Let me tell you, it goes by fast, too. So there was a day we were young, and we were, you know, just hip where you cool. guys are. Yeah, right, we, we cool. had our hip and cool days. And then it's like that many years later, you're like, what happened? <laughs> but it goes, by it goes fast. It, it's a, go it is fast. a blink. So he says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. See, that's where we find out again he wasn't the head of the home. He wasn't. The husband and the wife have to have the same authority over the children. Yeah. And that's why they together are the head of the house. Because the children need to understand what we're going to do. You know, it's funny because our kids, now that they're old enough, they start to realize we're not so dumb after all. We're pretty smart, you know, because we were especially raising them in the Lord. And listen, every parent would love to do the perfect job. But we're all humans. Nobody is going to do the perfect job. So our, our prayer always was, Lord, make up for the difference for whatever failure we have, any kind of a nurturing deficit that our kids would have. Only you can make that up. The reality is, once you're born again, you get your real father back. Your heavenly father is a good father. But a lot of people in the world, they hear the word father, they think, my father was an abuser. My father was mean. He abused my, my mother. Some people were sexually abused by fathers. I mean, horrible things have happened. And so they get such a negative connotation in their mind when they hear the word father. They've never met their real father, the one who created them and would take them close in, heal their hearts, re-raise them, heal them of every nurturing deficit and make them be able to stand with their shoulders back, not pride in themselves, pride in their, their dad, their real father. You know, Jesus said this to me one time. I was just thinking about something I hadn't prayed about. And, uh, but I thought, I'm, I'm going to pray about that. And Jesus says, hey, have you talked to dad about that yet? Because remember, he told Mary, he says, go to my disciples, tell them, I'm going to my father and your father, my God and your God. The Jews never thought about God being a father. They were afraid of God. They thought he would squish them like a bug if they crossed the line in any way. A lot of people don't understand. You know, Jesus fulfilled the law contained in ordinances. All those things in the temple worship and everything, Jesus fulfilled all of it. It's a picture of Jesus going, excuse me, through the redemptive work of Christ in heaven. And so he fulfilled all of that. But the law contained in the oracles of God, the oracles are unchangeable, immutable laws of God's universe that he created, that if we live by those, we get blessed. The Bible says, God said this, I am the Lord, I change not. Guess what? He still hasn't changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we serve a God that doesn't change. So when we find out his word, you, don't, you can't change the Ten Commandments. They're the laws of right and wrong. And we find out you couldn't keep them before you were saved. But once you are saved and empowered by the Holy Spirit, praise God. The Holy Spirit, you know, the apostle well, the apostle, he was before the apostles, <laughs> but the great prophet, John the Baptist, it's hard to believe a Baptist was a great prophet, but he was John the Baptist, the original Baptist was a great prophet. So much so that Jesus said, there's no greater prophet in the world than John the Baptist. 
All the other prophets prophesied about the Messiah coming. John the Baptist had got to be the one to say, and here he is. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But John the Baptist said this, this one is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and the fire. Now the reality is both of those are holy. It's the Holy Spirit and the holy fire. So when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit and the holy fire, when you pray in tongues, did you realize you are stirring up the holy fire Amen. on the inside yes. of you? And it will refine you like silver and gold. Hallelujah. So you become a vessel of honor fit for the master's use. Mm -hmm. Everybody, every Christian ought to want to be a vessel of honor. Mm -hmm. Not just a common clay vessel, one made of silver and gold fit for the master's use. So what happens, you start praying in the spirit enough. When I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I just fell in love with it. I prayed in tongues all the time. I sang in the spirit all the time. I thought, I, I sensed the power of God in that. And I just wanted to sing in the spirit. I'd, I'd go up to my parents' place in North Carolina, just walk around through the woods and sing really out loud in the spirit. Because I know it was just me and God, the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit singing through me to my father and to his son. And so I didn't realize that I was going through a transformation of being refined. I mean, I, I got all in. When I got saved in that day there in the Jesus, how many saw the Jesus Revolution movie? During that, that's when I got saved. We were all in. We did not understand anything about one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the devil's world. <laughs> it's all in with Jesus or nothing. I, I you know, I stopped my music career and... Uh, I felt like it was cutting off my arm, but I didn't want to play in the clubs anymore. I didn't want to do, be around all the people. But, but the Lord gave that back to me. Thank you. Uh, because I started in a, a Christian band a year after that. But 1974, Christian bands couldn't play in the church. So we did evangelism. I didn't know I was in the ministry, but a year after being saved, I'm, in, I'm getting hundreds of people saved all the time. And I realized, what a tool. God gives you those gifts back. And music today, praise God. <laughs> what a gift to the church it is. They got over the squeamishness of not having drums in the church. Who's the drummer? Man, you're awesome. I like you. Where are you? You did a great job back here. But I believe in uncaging the drummers. I like uncaged chickens and eggs, but uh, and uncaged drummers as well. But anyway, you have to do it when they're those. Anyway. God has so many wonderful things in store for us. It's really, actually, we're going to look at some things that are, should be really fun because the truth of the Word of God is fun. Because when you come into alignment, life gets better and better and better. doesn't mean that your challenges go away. There's still a real devil out there. How many discovered that? There's a real devil. <laughs> and it's a demon-infested planet. The more I pray in the Spirit, the more I realize I'm pushing about, back against the kingdom of darkness and... I realize how demon-infested the planet really is. A friend of mine died and went to heaven and did not want to come back because he saw from heaven how demon-infested the planet was. People say, yeah, some of you Christians think there's a devil behind every bush. Well, according to Jesus, if you want to bring his opinion in it, there are eight devils for every human being because he says, if one gets cast out of you and he gets to go back in, he's going to bring seven more worse than him. So there's eight for every single one of us. The world needs to understand they better look out because <laughs> it's an infested place. We're going to have opposition to the devil, but we can always have the victory. And you can be that more than a conqueror and that overcomer over all things by the power of God and his word and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So then he goes on to the men. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be 
uh, to their husbands in all things. So he's talking about an illustration. He's getting ready to tell us here, I'm really talking about Christ in the church. And I'm using the husband and wife in this. So we're submitted to Christ. Husbands and wives need to both be submitted. But guess what? The husband's going to be the one that's held accountable. Do you remember Adam and Eve? And then when Adam, they're both, actually Adam's standing right there with Eve when she's being tempted. And he lets her eat of the fig. It wasn't an apple. What was the first thing they tried to dress themselves with after they lost their Holy Ghost clothes? Was fig leaves. So they were sitting there. It was a fig tree. And so, and Adam didn't say a word. He didn't say a word while she's being lied to. That they were going to be like God after they, they didn't realize they were already like God. That's right. And so they ate. Now they realize now we've lost something. We've lost everything. We're no longer like God. And so God held Adam responsible. That's the symbolic thing that we're seeing here. I'm going to hold the husband responsible. That's the covering. And you better be willing to lay your life down for your family. And that's, it's built into us. It's just in our DNA. Any good husband, if it came down to it where it was a choice between your family living and you dying, you will die for your family. And that's the respect we're going to find out the women need to show for their husband. Not because of anything they've done, but just because what God's called them to do. And if they're trying to do it, just like the husband's called to love the wife like Christ loved the church and would be willing to lay his life down for her. And we find out we don't have the same perspective on a lot of experiences in life. And my wife will share some good things here in just a minute. Because we, we really like this love and respect conference. We get a chance to do it as spirit-filled Christians with the power of God. So it ramps it up even more. So anyway, he goes on. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for, now I've got a new King James and it says for her. Uh, it's a gender, church is a gender neutral term. But because there's, we allude to the fact that we are the bride of Christ. We can sing about it in our songs and all those things. But the reality is we're not the bride of Christ until Revelation chapter 21. When you see the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, that's when the angel tells John, let me show you the bride, the bride of the lamb. It's the whole church. Once we're all saved and in heaven, we are the whole body of Christ. Everybody that is ever going to be there, we're all gathered together, and God's going to have us presented to Jesus for the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a celebration. You think you've been to some parties? Our God is a party animal. <laughs> I mean, look at all the feasts and festivals they had. You know, it's like, whoo, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be off the chain, I'm telling you. It's going to be something. But we don't become that bride. Not right now. We're the body of Christ. We have a male head in heaven and a male body on earth. What a radical concept. Could you imagine having a male head in heaven and a female body on earth? Now that seems to be the problem that's in all the news today. Poor Bud Weiser. Bud, Bud Weiser and Bud Light, you know. <laughs> we're so stupid. They didn't even know. Most of the people do not think the way they were. Let's just include everybody. No, the reality is that's what used to be called, if you had a male head and a female body, and I used to be a man trapped in a woman's body, but I got born again. I mean, I got born. I just got born. <laughs> I came out of my mother's body. <laughs> so, <laughs> the truth is sometimes fun. 
<laughs> but the reality is God's got so many wonderful things for us because he's painting this picture for us. And he says, as a matter of fact, the reason, one of the reasons you, you need to understand we are the he, because you find out over in Thessalonians, he's talking about the devil will be manifest completely, you know, the son of partition will be. And, and so the people think all of a sudden the he that is holding everything back is going to be the Holy Spirit that's suddenly going to be gone from the planet. It's actually talking about the church that's suddenly going to be gone from the planet. It's not a falling away. It's a catching away called the rapture. And so what we find out is the he that withholdeth is us because we are prayers. We are holding back the forces of darkness. We are pushing back against the kingdom of darkness. And so we're the only hope for the rest of the planet until we're taken out of the way. Oh, you're going to see some tribulation on the earth at that point in time. But praise God, we're working into the whole system. We find out we still need to represent the Lord right now so that people can see the glory of God. So again, I'd like to tell people the omnipresent one you won't think the omnipresent one's going to go away somewhere? Where does the omnipresent one go to not be there? Because he's everywhere. <laughs> it's like, well, he wasn't given until the day of Pentecost. He wasn't even on the planet. Are you kidding me? Who did all the miracles in the Old Testament? Who did all the miracles under the Lord Jesus? Of course he is here. He wasn't given for the salvation of souls until Jesus was raised from the dead. And he wasn't given to the church until Jesus. Another thing John the Baptist said, my favorite prophet. Pay attention to the things he said. Jesus pointed him out as the number one prophet. He said, <clears throat> John the Baptist said this about Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't want to joke. <laughs> He was given the spirit without measure. That's what made him the Messiah. Yeah. There was, there's a big difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. Jesus could manifest all of the power of the Holy Spirit that could ever rest on a human being. That's what made him the Messiah. He didn't do any of the miracles he did as the son of God. Did it all as the anointed son of man. He stripped himself of, of coming here to do it as his deity because he couldn't pass that on to the church. But he did it as the anointed son of man. When he took his seat at the right hand of the father, because that anointing without measure stayed on him, other than the fact once he was separated from the father and the son with our sin and went into hell, kicked the devil in the head, chained them all up, paraded them around the heavens, came back and picked up his earthly body and now it's a glorified body. Then all of a sudden, he breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And they're born again. But he says, don't leave and go out and try to represent me. Whatever you do, do not go out there and try to represent me without the power. How many in the church have done that? <laughs> Most of the church for yes, 1,600 years tried to go out and represent the Lord without the power. Yeah. Made a real mess of things. But it got restored to the church. But once Jesus sat down the right hand of the father he released that anointing without measure and that's what came on the church on the day of pentecost the church wasn't birthed on the day of pentecost it was empowered on the day of pentecost it was birthed on the day of resurrection those first disciples were born again believe in your heart that god raised jesus from the dead well guess what they saw him face to face they believed. they saw the nail prints in his hands and his side his feet probably nail prints in his 
forehead because they drove those thorns into his skull. He's the only one. When we all are in heaven with glorified bodies, we're going to be perfect. All different, but totally beautiful and perfect. There'll be one person in heaven for all eternity that's scarred in their glorified body. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one that prayed, paid the price for all of us to be there with him and the Father for eternity. Amen. Praise God. But Paul said this. He says, I want you to do this. Be like Jesus was. He, he wanted to sanctify and cleanse the church, washing her with the water of the word that he might present her to himself or it to himself as a glorious church. When we are all presented to the Lord as the bride of Christ, believe me, we will be without spot or wrinkle. <laughs> We're going to be the glorious bride at that point in time. That he might present him, us to him as a glorious without spot or wrinkle church and um, without blemish. And then, so husbands ought to, again, love their own wives like their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. He says, you know, you take care of yourself. You get hungry enough, you eat. Guys, how many of you get you hungry enough, you eat? <laughs> you eat when you're not even hungry. I mean, we all do. And so are you kidding me? It's like we take care of ourselves. If you do it right, you're exercising enough, you're getting all the right nutrition, and you're believing God for divine health so that you can run your race all the way to the finish line. You know, the promise in the word is 120. A lot of people were shooting for 70 and 80. That was the curse to go to, down to 70 and 80. So I, from the time I got born again, I knew I needed to shoot for 105. Whether I make it or not, I know I was designed by God at least to go to 105, probably if we did it right all the way to 120. But so we, we, wanna, we have to take care of ourselves to be able to do that. Love your wife even more than you would take care of yourself. And so he says, you know, nobody hates his own body. He cherishes it. And so do that same thing with your wife. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Again, that's what Adam said about Eve. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Some people have thought when Jesus told his disciples, listen, see me, I'm flesh and bone. And if you see me as flesh and bone, um, you know, spirits, they thought he was a spirit. He says, spirits don't have flesh and bone. Some people say, see, Jesus doesn't have any blood in his body anymore because he died on the cross. Listen, Jesus presented his blood that was back in his glorified body because the Bible tells us that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So he had new blood. He didn't go around and pick up the blood that was there in the dirt at Calvary and say, I got to fly this up to heaven real quick and present it to the Father. <laughs> he just shows up before the Father and he's both the high priest, the sacrifice and the blood and he himself is the mercy seat. Amen. So he showed everything, came back, that's what he told Mary. He says, listen, I haven't yet showed myself to dad. I'm going to come back. And then, then he shows up to his disciples. So we're going to leave it. Th and then I'm going to turn it because we get to this 33rd verse. This is the key thing that we're going to see out of all of this. Even though this is the picture that manifests the glory of God into the rest of the world. To, for them to see the image of God. And uh, so he says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, bone of his bones. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, Adam said that even before he ever knew that they were going to do the same thing. So he watched the rest of nature, and he saw that the two of them come together, and they produce offspring. He says, so we're going to be able to do the same thing. 
We will be one flesh. We will be joined together. And then he says, this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. Some of these things will keep unfolding to us over the years. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself and that the wife see that she respects her husband. And again, if you watch that and go through that whole uh, series of um, marriage seminar, I say go through it when you're single. And uh, maybe it would be a good thing for the church to get that and uh, have some groups go through it. I know that you guys now meet in groups on uh, Sunday mornings. You know, you can pass it around from group to group. Or but anyway, realize you get a chance to do it as spirit-filled Christians and the power of God work in your life. And no matter what opposition comes against you, you can have a successful marriage. You can have a successful family. Children raised up in the nurture and admission of the Lord, and when they get older, they don't depart from it. They actually stay Christians. They don't just suddenly leave the church as soon as they turn 18. And then they grow up to begin to glorify God themselves and turn around and replicate the same thing. That was our heartbeat for our kids is that, of course, they would grow up and they would begin to hear from God for themselves. So now our boys are 29 and 28 and they work for us. And uh, they, they were um, raised, of course, in the church. And they, they would probably tell you they had a little bit of a sheltered life. But what we, when they became teenagers, we never struggled with them. They were, they were never a problem. We didn't have to worry about where they were going or what they were doing because uh, it was just never a challenge with them. They just were raised up in the Lord. And so they just emulated what they were raised up in. And same with our daughter. And she works with a lot of people that are of every different lifestyle. And, you know, the, she's just, they call her this, just a, a sunshine where she's at. She's the, the, the heartbeat of that little office there. And she nurtures everyone there. But we raised her to be that way. We told her when she was a little, actually it was her boss came up to me one day and she said, was she a mean girl when growing up? And, and she'd been trying to tell her she wasn't allowed to be a mean girl. And I told her, I said, no. She said, we didn't let her be a mean girl. I said, we, she had to include everybody. And so, you know, even to this day, she's the one that's nurturing everyone where she works because that was just in her. She was, you know, she just grew up that way. One of the things I really appreciate about her is that, you know, she works with a lot of lesbian ladies, guy guys and everything. And then, you know, some of them are straight, but they live with their boyfriend and whatever. They're not saved, but she loves them. Yeah. She really loves love them. Her. That's what the church is supposed to do is yeah. love everybody. Yeah. Now, can we help them? If they get born again, we're not going to have some program. We're going to have their heavenly father re-raise them mm -hmm. and heal them. Because they're only that way because they've been wounded in life. Life can be so horrible because the unsaved people out there, it, oh my goodness, the world that we're living in right now. I, I almost can't read the news because when I look at the inhumanity to man in the news, you just realize there's a lot of wounded people. Okay, I just want to share some practical things with you. Is that okay? I mean, you've heard some really good spiritual things, but I just want to give you some practical things that I hope will help you. Because how many of you know we live in a practical world? And we need to hear practical things that that helps us. Well, you heard him speak or read in Ephesians 33. It says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife. He's speaking to the husbands here. Love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So you see that there were two different um, 
commands that God gave. Husbands, that was to love your wives. Why is that? Because sometimes husbands can get so busy, they forget that their wives need love. But she was made to need love. And of course, husbands were made to need respect. So husbands have to be respected. That's what, that, that was what motivates them. And, and so God summarizes marriage in the love and respect commands there. And that when husbands and wives do it this way, uh, they do marriage God's way. And that's where you can have success. Um, and what you want to know too and live forth is that everything, everything you do in your ma- marriage, it matters to God. Everything matters to God. And it'll affect the entire family. When husbands love, when a husband loves his wife, um, and she doesn't respect him, it, it doesn't motivate him, and he can't love her. And it's the same way in, in reverse. And she doesn't, re- you know, if he can't love his wife, if she doesn't respect him, and and she can't respect him if he doesn't love her. It creates this crazy cycle, and many of, you know, much of the world is living this way. So it starts the crazy cycle, but his love motivates her respect, and her respect is going, to what, is going to be what motivates his love. So every family, I always say, should have a vision. I always tell the students that, do you have a vision for your family? Um, doesn't the word say that without a vision, people perish? So we should have a vision that the Lord gives us individually for our family. And when we have that vision, it should be passed down to every family member. So every family member knows what that vision is, and it it begins to be replicated within that family. And they should be regularly seeking God about direction and vision for the family unit. So if husbands and wives are consistently seeking God for the family, God will speak to both of them. Does God speak to both of you? If you're hearing from God, he'll speak to you. So what happens if you get out of line or if you're not following the love and respect for him there? Will God speak to you if you're listening to God regularly? But that's how it's designed to be. So families have to teach that vision to each family member. And that's what's so important in uh, the world we live in today, that we're, we're working as a unit and that we're living unto God as a family. And you can see families with no vision. Everyone's doing their own thing. The kids are doing their own thing. Everybody's confused because they, they don't know who to follow after. I mean, don't you know families like that? The kids are confused. Who are they following? Um, You know, one of the things they say about um, young people, when you raise them up when they're young, uh, they have parental influence, or it's parental influence they follow after. But something happens around, oh, about the middle school age, preteen age, where suddenly when kids are out there in the world, they begin to shift from parental influence to peer influence. And that's where a lot of the damage comes in if they're not raised up in the things of God. So that is so important that we raise them up when they're young. Our, our daughter, um, when she, she came to me a few years ago, she's 22 now, but she came to me a few years ago and she said, mom, she said, you and dad, you're, you're, you're strict parents. You just were really strict. 
And I said, oh, really? I said, uh, let me see now. You have your own car. You, you, know, you go to dance. You, you have your friends' houses that you go to. So what, what made us so strict? And she said, well, you know, so-and-so can do this over here, but you wouldn't want me to do that. And I said, well, no, I wouldn't want you to do that, but is there something you want to do? And she said, no, I just know that you wouldn't want me to do it. And so I explained to her, I said, I said, you know, when you were young, we imposed discipline on you so that when you were older, it would become a self-imposed discipline. And that's what we have to do with our kids, impose them, not in a religious or depressive, oppressive way, but in a way where we impose the word on them so it, it gets into their heart so they'll follow after that. If you don't catch it at this age, then what happens, it becomes a problem when they become older and when that peer influence kicks in. So what we did as a family is we modeled for our kids. In other words, what we didn't want our kids to do, we didn't do. So they saw us living a life before God. Uh, and it's, it's really easy to, to, to see this picture when, you know, you realize that, okay, let's say, you know, if we, if, let's say we, we don't smoke, but if we smoke cigarettes, what are the chances of our kids smoking cigarettes when they get older? The risk factor goes way up. But it goes, it goes that way for anything. How do you think alcoholics became alcoholics? Because they never catch it back here when it's one drink. They just continue to take the next drink and the next drink, and it becomes a part and a way of life. Well, that's how pedophiles become pedophiles. It's because they didn't make the choice to stop it way back here. And so those are the things that you as parents, or just even Christians living your life, you're going to have to guard against. And, and doesn't the Bible say, be careful what you see and be careful what you hear? So that's why as Christians, we have to guard our lives and guard the lives of our children. But I also want to um, share one thing with you. Um, our, our daughter, like we said before, our daughter has been um, working with people, and um, most of the generation that she works with, um, they don't want to get married. None of them want to get married. In fact, she says nobody that she knows in her work want to get married. They just either live together or they, they just don't want to get married and they don't want to have kids. And, and so she said, Mom, I've always wanted to have kids. And she says, I can't imagine not having kids. But that's the generation that we're in today. And she said, many of them, she says, they just feel like it's not a good place, to, a world to bring kids into. And so they're afraid to bring kids in. This is the world we're living in today. But God's always had a way out for the church. He's always had a plan for marriage. He's always had a plan for husbands and wives. He's always had a plan for success. And it doesn't matter. He, he promises to you that he would never forsake you. He would never leave you. And he would be with you to the end of the age. So that means that God's got a plan for husbands and wives in this life, in this day and age. And he's got a plan for you to have success. And you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear what's going on in the world out there. If you do your part and you live your life right before God, the anointing will be on your family and God will take care of your families. And he will take care of your kids and you take care of your kids' kids because he'll always be with your kids to the end of the age. There will be never a time when you have to fear that God won't be there for your kids. So your job is just to do, uh, restore, restore your um, 
marriage to its original intent of that love and respect, pass that down to your kids, teach the vision to your kids, and implement that. Impose it upon them when they're kids. And then when they're older, it'll be self-imposed. And when I say it wasn't, we didn't do that religiously or um, oppressively with our daughter. In fact, I, you know, when our kids were young, we were probably the parents that had the kids over at our houses more than any other parent. In fact, when we were in, in ministry working, we would go to church on Sunday, and I always worked with the kids when they were younger. And let me tell you why I did that. Well, we both worked at Willie George Ministries, and I don't know if anybody knows who Willie George is, but he was Gospel Bill, and he had a TV program on in the 80s, and um, Fire by Night was a teen program, and he taught the word to kids. So there was a generation that was raised up in there. So we got a great uh, vision for children and youth ministry during that time. But one time when my kids were young, I walked into the four and five-year-old room at church and to to you know hand them over and I noticed that the lady that was sitting there watching the kids she had no engagement with the kids there was no engagement with them I mean they were just uh, sitting there she was doing her own thing and I thought no oh no this is not God's plan for a children's church or were for these kids. So I would get in every week and, and I began to teach these kids and all my kids got filled with the Holy Ghost. All my kids, you know, they were the ones that were serving God. So that's what we did with the kids. And, um, Every Sunday when I would be with the bigger kids as they got older, I'd load my van up and I would take the kids home so that the kids felt comfortable at our house. Then every week, you know, we'd take them back to their, um, to church. So church was fun for our daughter. She loved church. And so they, our kids were raised up in this environment, in this bubble of of Christ-like families. And so, um, you know, when I say it wasn't oppressive to her, we imposed discipline on her so that it would become self-imposed. And today, she witnesses on her, you know, in, as a hairdresser in her chair, and people come in and they love her because she's not afraid to share what her, her standards are. She doesn't budge, she doesn't bend, but she's willing to just share, you know, everything she, you know, um, to everyone she meets and to share about the Lord to them so that they understand and, and, and they will have the heart that she has. So she's, she does a great job with that. She's a great little personal evangelist. So I just want to encourage you that way that um, for you to remember that God's got a plan for you and a plan for marriage. And that's where the blessing of the Lord comes in. And the blessing is there for you to pass down to your kids. He'll always be there for you. You're never going to have to fear. You're never going to have to be afraid. God's always going to see you and see your kids to the end. So what do you need to do? Just follow the Lord. And, and have lots of kids. <laughs> we need to have kids that flood this earth and, and, be, and, and can be those personal witnesses to the Lord. Amen. And that's by, again, you do it living by the Word of God. So you have to have an understanding of the Word of God. Anybody here that wants to enroll in Life Christian University, please come. We will disciple you. We want to make sure that you get the foundation. But, you know, the reality is everybody needs a solid foundation in the Word whether you're called to the ministry or not, because God's got a lot of, the word tells us we're all kings and priests before the Lord. But, you know, some that are in ministry are going to be really full-time priests, and the other people are supposed to be kings and queens in this earth. 
that's going to be like probably 95% of the, how many of you want to live like a king and a queen in this earth? Nothing, no, no slight on the coronation tomorrow, anything in Charlie, you know, but <clears throat> I remember Robin Williams doing a concert once and they were there and says, Chuck, Cam, good to see you. <laughs> Glad you could come. <laughs> it was a royal performance. But no, you, you want to make sure that you could succeed at whatever God's called you to do. Because we need a lot of kings and queens in the marketplace funding the end time harvest. But though it's knowledge of the word of God and, and living by the word of God, the truths in the word of God, that gives you success in life. Well, it's going to give you the same success as in a family, as a marriage and raising children. Now, the reality is there's a lot of problems in the world. And we want to see people saved at any point in time in their lives. You know, I love it when an 85-year-old gets saved. I love it when they get saved right before stepping over to the other side, you know. But they won't have any fruit to show on the other side. I love to see more when they get saved as kids and are raised up in the things of God and have fruit for their whole lives to be able to be rewarded. You know, it's a system that says you have to believe, have faith in God, trusting that, again, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And it's eternal rewards. This life is not really about life on earth. It's just a test to see how we're going to live the real life that lasts forever and ever, quadrillions and quadrillions and quadrillions of years all strung together, is eternal life. And how we live this life here is going to determine how we're actually going to be placed for eternity. So you want the success here, doing it God's way by the word, so that you have that reward from the Lord. But again, people come into the kingdom of God. So some people get saved. The fa whole family comes in and gets saved. But man, they have all kinds of problems. Well, guess what? It's a little bit more of a challenge. You can't go back and just completely undo everything instantly. You, and it takes time to mature and grow up in the things of God. So we have to be really <clears throat> desperately after. We can choose. You don't have to actually be desperate. You choose to be desperate yeah. for God. Yeah. Choose to be desperate for his word. I praise God for the church that you're in because I know the word you're hearing here. And, and there, it's, it's all about the word and the spirit. That's why when I watch you worship I'm like, okay, these people are in the spirit. You know, they know how to get into the realm of the spirit with the Lord. And I know you're basing that on the truth from the word of God that you know, but I know you probably receive the same way. We want to take some time tonight too for both questions and answers. And we want to pray for you as a whole group. We're willing to pray for everybody. We have some altar time and let the Lord just do miraculous things. Because I realize that a lot of people have things says, listen, I got saved halfway through life. I've got a whole lot of problems. You know, things have just come undone in my family, whatever. Broken marriages. There's a lot of marriages that need to be healed and restored. A lot of relationships between children and the parents. You know, it's amazing. The Bible says one of the number one first things that it was in, actually originally in the Ten Commandments, children, honor your mother and your father. And if you do that, it'll go well with you in life. Some people say I can't honor my, I hate my parents. What's the first thing you can do to honor them as a Christian with the power of God? You forgive them. You have yeah. to start with forgiving them. Right. You can't, there's some people, there's no greater honor that you could give them than to forgive them. And it doesn't mean that they're going to change and suddenly all of a sudden, if you're not living under their roof and you, you're estranged, you don't even see them on holidays and stuff. But if you forgive them and you'll be the mature one, you'll be the one that's heads and shoulders above them in the things of maturity with God, you might be the one to start restoring that relationship. So all kinds of things get healed 
in families and relationships when people really, somebody's got to start the cycle going there. So we want to have a time for, you know, being able to pray for you for those things to happen as well. But let me, we want to, can we just go ahead and open it up for a, questions and answers so we'll surrender one of these mics and it can be passed away because this is being recorded so we'll make sure that everybody can be heard we'll share that which one okay <laughs> <clears throat> uh, shalom uh, i'm a guest here I, I love this church i keep hearing uh, to be a priest and a king for a month from different people, different churches. I've been giving a word also. To be, what does it mean to be a king and a priest? What does it mean to be a king and a priest? You okay. mentioned that at the end. King and a priest. King and a priest. Well, just basically in the marketplace. In other words, people that are not called to the teaching and preaching ministry, what we would call, if they're a ministry gift, we would call the five-fold office, whether it's apostle, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And, and the pastor's office is probably the most important in the church in this age because the pastor is the one who's going to be looking out over a flock with love and compassion and caring and is the one you can get to. Occasionally, an apostle comes through or they're on television or whatever. So, you know, different things. But most of us are going to be called to work a job or start a business or do something and we need to be very successful at doing that but just like the pastor needs to do everything by the word of God to live the life before you for you to emulate as far as doing it the the Christian way and God's way you need to be able to do the same thing everything every place you are so and the success that will come listen it's one of those things that people don't realize Jesus ran the family business as builders in Nazareth. As a matter of fact, you notice Joseph was not on the scene in the Gospels after, you know, Jesus was 12 years of age. And so we don't even see, we don't know how long uh, he was around. But Jesus, as the oldest brother, had to take over the business and run the business. I think that was one of the reasons James was a little bit upset with him after he launched into his ministries, because all of a sudden James is stuck with running the family business. But a lot of people don't realize this. Do you think anybody ran the business more according to the will of God than Jesus? He had to have the most godly business on the planet while he was running a family business. So I'll guarantee you they, they were the most successful family in Nazareth. And then he launches out. And then his brothers did not even believe that he was the Messiah or who he was. They, they thought, you know, we grew up with him. But you realize James listened to his brother probably, you know Jesus practices a bunch of sermons on James because they're working side by side. Maybe 18 years James is listening. The other disciples got to listen to him for three and a half years. James listened to him for like 18 years. And so he's probably talking to his friends. He says, you know, I think my, my other older brother thinks he's God. The other guys probably say, every older brother thinks he's God. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? But all of a sudden, you know, he realizes after the resurrection, my brother really was the son of God. And I denied that. You think Peter was ashamed of his denial? James must have said, I will become his best disciple. He became the pastor of the church at Jerusalem and all those other apostles came back and reported to him and went out. So something happened in the marketplace. 
He got transformed by hearing the word of God while they're working together. They're working with people. They're doing business with honor with everyone. And so I say kings and queens because, ladies, you are, you are queens. The Bible calls you kings, but you're, you're a queen. <laughs> and so I believe in the vast majority of the people in the church need to be successful at what God's called them to do, providing and maybe starting businesses and doing all kinds of things. A lot of people never even think about some of the things God might have them do until they keep praying through and they mature and they realize, God is telling me to start a business. Well, whatever he tells you to do, that's what you're, or, that's what you're anointed to succeed at. And that's the only thing we're anointed to succeed at is whatever God has called us to do. And so it's just be able to find that place. Anybody else? Anything about kids? I know some of this will get covered uh, tomorrow too, but I think it'll be really good just as far as uh, when it does come to dating for some of the singles, like what would be some of the parameters that you really believe are godly as we see with scripture to give advice to, and uh, so like parameters for dating, uh, we would know contending for purity, but just if you had to give advice to singles in the room on how they should go about dating and maybe some guidelines that they could take into um. well you know like I said the reason I can have no pride as a Christian because I was one of the chiefest of sinners once I got saved though I wanted to do everything God's way and so I, I didn't really I didn't believe in dating after getting to be a Christian I realized it's fellowship as a group and I'd say you know date as a group <laughs> you know have a good strong youth group and then young adult group of people that spend time together and then you become because you really need to become best friends with somebody you find out in the long term it's being best friends with each other that makes a marriage so strong we love spending time together we love walking our dogs together we love traveling together we got a road trip coming up at the end of the month you know so we we do that a lot but it's and it wouldn't work if you weren't best friends so they need to have realized, you know, yes, you want to be attracted to your spouse and all these other things. But when they do get to the point where they're going to start going out by themselves again, I always told my daughter, I said, I want to meet the guy that, you're, that asks you out and he's going to have to meet me when he comes to pick you up. I'll probably be on the front porch cleaning my guns. So let him know we live by the word of God. I'm probably the tougher one, though, with, the, with our daughter. But, you know, one of the best things I'd heard was from a Jewish rabbi one time. And he said, there's a difference between a boyfriend and a husband. And if you think about that for a minute, what does a husband do? He loves his wife. So he's going to look out, he's going to lay his life down for his wife. So there's, there's a love there that gets carried over. And so those are the kinds of things that you, as a, a you know, somebody, a male getting ready to date, that you want to think about. How can you love that person that you're going to be dating and still respect them and honor them and honor um, the, you know, and value what God has created in marriage? And when you understand the love and respect that you want to do it God's way and make sure that they're, they're honored. So those are some of the things to think about. And yes, you do have the ability to choose 
how you're going to walk that relationship out. You have the ability to choose um, when you're in a situation that um, you get tempted in. So, the, you know, the Bible says, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation because the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. But if you're one who, who lives a life before the Lord and you pray, the Lord, will, he'll show you what to do. He'll quicken you and he'll tell you, uh, you know, what, what you can do in that relationship and what the parameters are. And he'll quicken your heart with what, if something okay and if something's not okay. So if you listen to the Lord, you'll know. So I always want to teach people, make sure that you have that relationship with the Lord first and foremost above everything before you go into a relationship with somebody. And, and, and you should be practicing on a daily basis. Do I hear from the Lord? Do I know his voice? Can I trust his voice? that I know him that well. So the Lord will show you those things. You know what it's like when you're home and you're watching a movie. Have you ever had the Lord say, you don't need to be watching that movie. <laughs> Turn that off. Well, you know, it's anything in life. You know, you don't need to go there. You don't need to encounter that. You don't need to engage in that. The Lord will show you that. So if, you're, if your heart is to follow after him and your heart is him first, then you'll, you'll hear those things. So pay attention to what the Lord's speaking to you about. And... Um, you'll have a successful dating life that way. Well, and when, as parents, you're wanting to watch over your children in a dating life, I, I would also put before them, listen, don't date to just date and just get to... My mom, we, when she passed away, I got her diary. And even though she was in love with my dad and he was off to war in World War II, she went out with somebody else every single night. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? But see, back in the 40s, it was like, that was just friends hanging out with each other. That's the way they looked at dating. Well, the world has changed. It's a different place. And trust me, any guy here that you have a daughter, the guys today are twice as bad as whatever you thought about being when you were. So you have to just make sure, listen, get across to your kids. Don't date to think just you're getting to know people. Unless you already know they're solid Christians, then you could just, you could do that. But I say date only with the idea you're looking for a mate, somebody to be married to, and be so picky you won't go, with, go out with anybody that you wouldn't be willing to commit to and be married to. And so that'll kind of narrow the field down a little bit. You know? But I just truly believe that, um, again, it's when you train your children to be, you want them to be as spiritual. You want them to hear from the Lord. You know, you realize nobody's going to be guaranteed that they're always going to know those things. But if you put the parameters out there by the word of God, they'll at least have that as the, the framework. And then they can grow into being able to hear the voice of the Lord all the time. You know, you, you have the inward witnesses with just that knowing. No, no, you know. But at the same time, you can develop more and more. When I got saved, I got saved reading the Bible. Somebody challenged me with the Word of God. I started reading. I read Matthew, Mark, Luke. I got to John 16, verse 33. In there, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. world. Right after I read those words, Jesus spoke to me. I thought I heard him audibly. He said, Doug, I'm alive. I'm the Lord. Listen, while I was reading the Gospels, I was falling in love with everything Jesus did. I was falling in love with everything he said. I watched those miracles. I thought, how cool would that have been to go walking around with Jesus and watching all those healings take place? So when he says, Doug, I'm alive. I'm the Lord. I knew what to do. I got out of my bed. And I didn't know how to pray. I said, Jesus, would you please take over? 
and I was gloriously born again. And it is, the reality is, that's an extreme hearing from the Lord. Most of the time, it's just going to be this knowing. But you train your kids to know from the framework of the Word of God what's right and wrong, and then they'll keep themselves safe. How many of you know that you're being preached to every day out there in the world? I mean, you're getting voices every day. And, the, and of course, the word says that there's uh, many voices in the world, none without signification. Um, so there's voices out there preaching all the time. You're getting preached to on the Internet. You're getting preached to, um, you know, TV, movies. Um, you're getting, you know, everywhere you go, you're getting, you're, you're getting preached to. And you have to be careful what you hear. I mean, doesn't the Bible tell us, be careful what you hear? Be careful what you see, because you can become so immune to what you're seeing on the internet, and it's it's being just um, coming from every source right now. And of course, you know we hear about the woke agenda, and you know, and all the the different agendas that are out there, and and they bombard you on every avenue. So if you're not careful, that'll become your your gospel. So you've got to be careful what it is that you're paying attention to. Now, you know, what, what about all the reality shows that are out there today? There are so many young people today that see the, those reality shows and begin to emulate that behavior. That's why we have to be so careful. So whatever show you're, you know, if you're watching out there on TV, you can get your um, understanding and your, uh, your thinking on how marriage is supposed to work according to the TV reality shows. And you're never going to have a su successful life. That's why you have to, in this generation, be more careful what you hear and what you see than any other generation. There are more distractions than any other generation. I even have to tell my kids sometimes, you know, you need to, you just got to put your phone down. You need to be able to think and hear the voice of God, but if you're always connected, you're not going to hear. So there are times that you have to disconnect from the world and hear the Lord, because you know otherwise you're you know you're just constantly pulling for what is what does the you know phone say? What does the internet say? What is and then you'll go to that as your gospel instead of the Lord. So you got to be careful about that. So disconnect. You know, you need to think sometimes, you need to dream sometimes, and you can't do it if you're constantly just watching the phone. Was that a, was that a hand raised? Let me just point at this. It was so funny. It, it's a different world today. I mean, we didn't grow up with cell phones and all those. One time, my wife and I were with our daughter and three of her friends, and we, we took them out to eat. And so we're, sta we're sitting there, and, and we're having a conversation. We said, you girls are sitting right here, and... You're all on your phones. Why aren't you talking to each other? And they said, we are. <laughs> they were talking to each other on the phone since, so that we wouldn't know what they were talking about, I guess. You know, it's like, so you really got to watch everybody like a hawk these days. Yeah. <laughs> I was curious as to, um, in all your years of marriage, how you guys have navigated uh, different convictions. So, for example, I've been married two years. Um, when we watch movies, we were talking about like the things that we see and how they impact us. I know that I'm, I'm female, I'm more sensitive to things like violence and blood and things like that, right? And there are certain things that I'll be watching with my spouse and I'll feel convicted like, we should not be watching this. But I know that it doesn't affect him the same way it affects me. And I know that men do have more of a, a, warrior. a stomach, a warrior. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's something built into you guys that, that is okay with those kinds of things, and it actually even encourages you, you know, to be men and to be strong and to be, you know, heroes. Um, but I've, I've wondered if you guys have run into 
things like that because then in my mind I go, well, is this a conviction the Lord has given me so that I can protect my family from something like this? And then who ends up um, having the authority over that in my household? It's like, do I, do I put my foot down and say, no, we can't have movies like this in the household? Or ha have you navigated anything like that in your marriage where you could speak to that? Well, sure. You want to answer from a man's perspective? Well, yeah. And I think, again, there, there would be a loving way because, but respectful. You have to understand, you know, again, you had to, show the respect to your husband. He's going to honor what it is that's a concern for you. And, uh, you know, navigating all those things are, again, it's a, it's a little bit of a tightrope walk. But, again, we, because we are different, we're going to have different responsibilities and things. That, there might be some different things. But, you know, at the same time, I, I, maybe I'm the wrong one to ask because I'm a sucker for a, a Hallmark movie, you know, because I'm a romantic at heart. I, every one of them reminds me of when we fell in love, you know, so it's like, I'll watch those over and over again. I know how it's going to end. They kiss at the end. And you realize, it, it's like, I, it just reminds me of when we met and we kissed, you know, and it started that relationship. But, um, so again, it's one of those things that, as a matter of fact, I, I, if the inspiration is to keep doing life God's way and you say, listen, I will, I will watch part of this movie with you. It's not my favorite, but I'll watch it. If you'll study the word of God with me or watch one of these sessions of love and respect with me or something and make a trade-off because life is going to be a lot of trade-offs. A lot of, um, you know, conflicts are going to be solved with, um, uh, what's the term I'm looking for there? Uh, you settle the argument. I mean, give and take. Compromise. A lot of compromise. A lot of compromises in life. And let me just tell you, there was a time when my wife wanted to have, um, <clears throat> she wanted to have two dogs, and I didn't want to have any dogs. So <laughs> I did what I call the, the husbandly compromise. We got two dogs. <laughs> At one point, we had three dogs, too. <laughs> So, but a lot of those compromises, you realize, okay, I want my wife to be happy. I want our lives to be good. And so I have to learn how to live with the dogs. But here, here's the funny thing. Those dogs went to heaven, those two. And so, um, so anyway, my daughter talked my wife into going to a dog store because there was no way we were getting another dog. She was, she was done too. And, um, and yeah, another male dog, and and she we always had dogs with up ears, up ears, pointy ears, and everything, all one color. She says, "I'm not going to get a like a mixed color dog and floppy ears and stuff." So they go into this little well, dog store. Tell you, you tell the story. It starts. It it started out. Her friend came over, yeah. and she says, "Mom, would you take us to the dog store, the puppy store, so we go pet puppies?" Because her mom knows better than to do that. So she, she just wants to know if you'll do that. And I, so I'm like, sure, I'm not going to get a dog. Sure, I'll take you there. I mean, so I did, obviously did know better. So anyway, that's kind of what happened is we went to this several puppy stores. The second puppy store, you know, I'm thinking I'm safe. I'm good here. We were there for about a half an hour. And then my daughter just... Um, we were getting ready to leave. I'm standing by the door, and she says, hey, mom, just come. Just hold this dog. Just come see this little dog. And I'm like, okay, I'm not getting a dog. Sure. And I, she put this dog in my arms, 
And I'm telling you, this was the squishiest dog I had ever felt, squishiest puppy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I could take this one home. And all the puppies I felt, for whatever reason, this was the squishiest puppy. So we, you know, we went into there and, you know, played. his head on her shoulder. I know, you know. It, it, what a sucker. Had those eyes. And so, I'm, of course, I made the mistake. We played with that dog for another 15 minutes. And I just sat there, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm like, what am I going to do? I, 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 how will I ever get a dog this squishy again? And so, I, yeah, so I made the mistake and I, my the daughter put the dog back in the, um, you know, the little crate and I snapped a picture of it. Now you have to understand, I'm the, I'm the person who was there at church whenever the doors were open. And that picture that I had on my phone, it haunted me. I sat there and looked at that picture and I went, oh my gosh, I ha- what am I going to do? What if I don't, who's going to take care of this dog? This dog's calling to me. It haunted me all night long. And the next day was Sunday and we were supposed to go to church and I'm like, honey, I can't go to church. <laughs> this dog is haunting me. I've got to have this dog. She was so depressed. She couldn't go to church. So I'm driving to church with the kids with me and I says, okay, kids. I'm going to call your mom at the end of the service and say, we're going to go over and pick up that dog. Should we come by and pick you up on the way there? And so I said, yeah, go ahead and do that, Dad. So I call her and said, listen, we're, we're on our way to go pick that dog up. Do you want us to come by and swing by? And she says, I already called. They're going to sell him to me half price. <laughs> he had been there for eight weeks. But, now- but then, so we go by, we pick the dog up. And, uh, and so all these other people pass this dog by. And we get him home, this dog crawls on my chest and drapes over me to go to sleep. And I really, he adopted me. I became the number one dad dog, dog dad on the planet, you know, so anyway. But I have to tell you, this was a country boy and he really didn't like dogs. In fact, our other dogs, he, you know, they were our lap dogs. I used to call them my lap dogs. He would call him his get off my lap dogs until this dog came along. And this dog just absolutely just snuggled up to him and draped himself over him. And now whenever he comes in the room, he forgets us. He goes after him, loves this guy. So, um, yeah. So, you know. A little sidetrack there. But again, it's family, it's family living as family and doing the fun things that really keep you bonded together. But, you know, I, I do want to say you do, when it came to movies, now we're probably a little bit different. We just really didn't watch a whole lot of movies. We were, we were just so busy in doing the things of ministry that it, it really wasn't a focus. I mean, there were probably years we went on, we didn't watch a whole lot of movies. But one of the things I was really careful about with the kids is haunted movies because yeah, because you know that this the, the fear is a spirit. And when you open your household up to that spirit, it'll get on your kids. So whatever you open your household up to, it, this is where it's going to open up to your kids. So you got to be careful. If you're guarding your kids, then you got to guard what you see and what you watch. And, um, you know, we don't want to open our kids up to a spirit of fear, but teach them no fear. No fear with God. To fear not, but only believe. So, you know, those things you just have to really hear from the Lord on. And, uh, you know, if it's, it, that's why it's a responsibility for both husbands and wives to hear from the Spirit of God. I mean, that's the, that's the, the one true way to live a, out a married life is that you're both hearing from God. Amen. Anybody else? Yes. Um, I have a question about um, disciplining children. Uh, we have disciplining children. 
Yeah, what all of the parents want to know um, who have little kids. So what does, like, what are some practical ways that we can take into our home for correcting our children, you know, biblically and disciplining them and discipling their hearts as they're little? And I mean, also as they're older, but <laughs> mine are little. Some practical ways. Well, the, the reality is, of course, you're having them in church and they're learning Bible stories, you know, but... Um, we as the adults are the ones that are gleaning from the Word of God and finding out what the most important things to be able to relate to our children. And so, uh, you know, the Bible actually says when you're going about with your kids, teach them every, you know, use everything as an illustration. So a lot of times if you can, just driving down the street and you see something that you suddenly think, oh, I could use that as an illustration to teach them a godly principle. And so just try to keep the Word of God coming to to them continuously in some form, in some way where you're able to relate your perspective on life and the things that you see and the lessons you've learned from the Word of God that you can relate to the children. And of course, on their age level, you know, how, when they're real small, I used to say, well, you know, when we were, we actually taught in school and suddenly I, I'm a high school teacher, but suddenly I'm responsible to do these whole big what were those presentations we have to do with the whole school? And we had these little three-year-olds and five-year-olds, or I guess it was little five-year-olds. And uh, so but as a youth pastor, I already knew youth are not going to give you anything. You could talk and tell, teach the word to them, and they're going to sit there just stone-faced. Well, the same thing with the ones that are three and four years old. They're not going to give you any response or reaction. So you do it all by faith because you're actually getting something into them, whether they're reacting, responding, telling you anything, tuning you out. I found out both of my sons can actually be listening to you while they're reading something else. And so they, it's selective genius, you know, but, but you know, you can, so you ask them right after, I said, did you hear what I just said? And they'll repeat it back to you. And so you realize they were just tuning you out, but somehow they still heard it, you know? So I say, just keep it coming to them at whatever age level that you think it's appropriate. Um, we had two sons. One was really strong-willed when he was a little guy, and the other one, he was just like so amiable and compliant, and he was like, I don't think he had a bad day until he was about four years old. I mean, it was just this sweet little kid, and he just would go along in life, and when, about the time he was four years old, one day his brother turned around and slugged him. And that was probably his first bad day. So the other one was a little bit, he was just a strong-willed kid. And I just remember there were times where, one particular time, I felt like there was nothing that I was saying that was getting through to him. And I'm in his room, and he's just a little guy. And probably every mother's been through that situation where you're ready to tear your hair out, and you're like, what am I going to do with this child? He's not doing what I um, you know, have, have, have told him to do. And, and, and everything in the, the strong-willed child, those books, it, it wasn't working. So I put him on my lap, and I faced him, and I began to just pray in the Holy Ghost. I just prayed in the Holy Ghost. And I'm like, Lord, you have to show me what to do because I don't know what to do right now. And you know, as I prayed in the Holy Ghost right there, the Lord just quickened to me and, and I began to speak to him and he began to just settle down and look at me. And, you know, it just changed the whole narrative of everything. And, and then he was fine. You know, we, he, all of a sudden he began to respond, but it took just, you know, again, it was seeking the Lord. But then I want to tell you a story about what happened with our kids, and, and you may come across this yourselves. There was one time when our boys were about four and five, and, and I had taken them to Target. 
And just like, you know, all kids, we're standing in line getting ready to leave and our kids are like, can I have gum? Can I have this? You know how that is. Can I have this? And, you know, I was trying to teach them no. I told them no. Because, you know, if you, if you don't just tell your kids no, every time you say yes, they're going to want to have gum or whatever every, every single time. So I told them no, they couldn't have any gum. And so we, you know, packed, got, paid for our groceries and we got in the car and it was like a 20 minute drive home. It's late in the afternoon. I've got to go home and I've got to make dinner. So as I'm on, I get home, we unload everything and I'm, I'm packing everything and all of a sudden it got really quiet in the house. And I thought, wow, it's a little bit too quiet here. So I go <laughs> looking for the boys. And sure enough, I open the door of their rooms and I look down and there they are on the bed. And they were like unwrapping gum, just I mean, as fast as they could and just shoving it in their mouths. And I, I looked at them and I said, what is that that you have there? And all of a sudden, you know, they got big saucer eyes and they're looking at me and busted. yeah, busted. But they're the, the one younger son who's, he's a little bit more compliant. He starts bawling in tears. He's about four years old. He's bawling because he realized he's just got, he just got caught. But the other one's just kind of looking at me. And I, and I looked at them and I said, where did you get the gum? And they, you know, they're just kind of didn't know what to say. And I said, did you take that gum from Target? And they're looking at me. And I said, oh, no. I said, we didn't pay for that gum. We've got to take that gum back and in return and pay for it. And, but, you know, that's where um, it's make or break. Because I was tired, and, and parents get to that place where it's make or break. You know, the enemy always comes in, and he's going to come and insert himself in your lives with your kids when you're the most tired. And that's where you as a parent have got to determine, this is the time, make or break, I've got to do it God's way. And so, you know, it, it would have been a lot easier for me to just take the gum from them and, you know, and correct them right there. But no, I knew that this was make or break and we needed to go back and show them by example what they needed to do. So, you know, it, it, it messed up my whole day. But I packed them up. I told them what to say. I gave them money. And I said, we have to go back and talk to the manager. And we have to pay for this gum. And they have to know that when we come in the store, that we are never, ever, ever going to take anything that doesn't belong to us. And so, you know, I gave the money to the kids. And we took, um, took them back there. And, of course, we walk in Target. And we march them up to the manager. And sure enough, what I told them to say, our, our little son, you know, he apologized and he gave them money. And, and the manager was, of course, so nice. And he said, well, thank you for being honest and bringing it back. And I have to tell you that this many years later, that's so cemented into these kids, we never had to worry about them stealing. That was just not in them. They knew that that wasn't okay and it was imposed upon them when they were younger so that they, when they grew up, it became self-imposed. And then another story that I want to tell you about of how I, I learned to work with my kids when they would be just like little kids running around and, and, and misbehaving. There was one time I was in CVS or Walgreens, one of those stores, and the kids were just acting up. They were just being silly and, you know, they were laughing, ha, 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 you know, just being silly little kids, but they were distracting and they were being too noisy and it was, it was you know, distracting the people around them. And I'm paying for something. And then they started running around. And then they, 
sure enough, when we left, they started running out the door. So I stopped them right there. I said, oh, no. I said, whoa, wait, wait a minute. We don't run in the store. And so I got down in front of the store, right in front of everybody, and I said, we don't run in the store. I said, now go back and walk to me. Go back and walk to me like I told you to. So they walked, you know, ran back there, and then they ran back to me. And it took me probably five times to tell them, no, that's not okay. Now go back there and walk back like you're supposed to. But it, I stayed with them at that moment. And probably five, I don't even remember how many times, but finally the last time, they finally walked back to me out the door like I had told them to walk. And there was a lady that was standing next to me, and she had been watching, and I didn't realize she had been watching it, and she said, wow. She said, I just want to compliment you as a mother from what you just did in teaching those kids. She said, you did a good job. And I thought, you know, for a, for a young mother, you know, we want to hear that. I mean, that really helps us to know that we're doing things right. But it comes back to the make or break point. And each one of you are going to go through that with your kids. And you'll have to remember, that's the time the enemy is inserting himself to see what you're going to do at that time. But that's the time it can be cemented in your kids that this is where we don't bend, we don't bunge, we don't compromise, we serve God, we do it right. And we're teaching you how to do it right. That's why we say we impose it upon them when they're young so that when they're older, it's self-imposed. And again, you know, we don't have problems with our kids. They were never a problem as teenagers because we had done the job and the work when they were young. And that's what it means to, you know, uh, again, uh, train your kids up in the way they should go so, so that when they're older, they'll not depart or they'll not turn and, and, and walk away from the things of God and our kids never have. So um, I hope that is something that you can remember during that time. Is that a training time? Is the enemy inserting himself where you need to take authority over that and by, you know, submitting yourself and walking it out with your kids? I just wanted to say they didn't have any other choice. She homeschooled them for seven years. So she got that kind of controlling, making sure the behavior was right and learning was taking place and everything for a lot of years. And so they were able to, you know, go to college later on. And our boys uh, had, they attended Life Christian University for five years and University of South Florida and they had their bachelor's degree from there at the same time. So they, we kept them so busy, they could not get into trouble. <laughs> it's a good way to make sure that you are able to do that with your kids. You know, there was a, I just want to share this part too. Um, you know, I think the, the, the statistics show that somewhere between 79 to 90 percent of young people today, when they leave the home, if they're Christian kids, they turn away and, you know, to the world. And this about, oh, at least 10 years ago, there was a nationwide conference of youth pastors that had come together to see what they could do to turn around this generation. What could they do to make a difference in um, this generation so that these Christian kids, you know, in the church would not be, you know, go off to college and leave the church. So when they got together, they, you know, had done this conference over a few days and there was one, uh, several things that were, um, they came to was, um, it was conducive that, you know, um, made the difference in these kids' lives, I should say. And one of them was that um, these kids worshipped with their parents in church, that they said that they weren't just dropped off in children's church, 
and then worshipped separately from their parents. They had times where they watched their parents and worshipped their parents. And the, di the other difference was that the parents were you know, intact parents, they served God, they were strong families. So when the kids saw the, the parents worshiping the Lord, then, you know, they grew up with that and that was something that made a difference for these kids. So that then when they were older, they continued on serving and what they'd been, you know, um, they had emulated and had been role modeled to them as young people. So what you're going to have to do is make sure you're raising your kids up in the church and they see you worship. And and, and, and that you have a strong relationship together as husband and wife. And again, everything you do matters. It matters to the Lord and it matters to your entire family. Amen. So I have a question as far as like practical advice for like a young family. So we're married, we have three kids. And how, what, what advice would you give as far as like the balancing of work life, ministry, children, trying to steward all of that, what kind of advice would you give to like younger couples like that? Well, it's certainly a balancing act. Uh, there's no question about it. And it's what some people refer to as the hard pull years because I, I, praise God, you're doing it while you're young enough and you have the strength enough to be able to do it. You realize later on though, what aged you so much when you get older. <laughs> but yeah, it's because you have a passion for the Lord and a love for your family that you'll put the effort into doing all of those things, balancing all those things. And so we noticed that when we first got married and then um, we wanted to have children right away, our kids are a miracle because uh, my wife memorized Jackie Mize's book on supernatural childbirth. And so finally our first son came and then the rest of the kids. But um, so it was a long, long time for us, but you know, we were staying committed to it. But <clears throat> the fact that you, um, you know, are wanting to emulate everything that the Lord was saying to do, to be able to do that in front of your kids, live that life before them. And uh, it's it really, as my wife was saying, that the, the secret's going to really come because everybody's so different. Everything, oh, I was going to say that, but as soon as we got pregnant the first time, they said, oh, you're going to have a child. They said, we said, yeah. They said, boy, that's going to change your life. And they, you know, they never told you how it was going to change your life because nobody can tell anybody else how much because we're all different, but it's totally going to change your life. Like I said, you can't really become an overcomer until <laughs> you've gotten married and have kids and you overcome all the opposition to that. But again, with the promises in the word of God that you're going to be able to do it, and it's when the two of you are both praying and both listening for the Lord and doing it by the, by the book, by the word of God that you know is, is the will of the Lord. And you start hearing from the Lord and he'll cause you to be able to navigate it. So that's what I say. It's really life is a, is a journey and you're going to be navigating it every step of the way anyway. So you have to hear from the Lord. Because we'd love for the Lord just to give us a spotlight down the highway and we could see everything. But really, it's just like his word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So it's a daily thing. Some people have said that the only problem with life is just so daily. You know, but the reality is there's going to be tons of just mundane things that we all have to do. You know, just busy, busy stuff, you know. But I tell everybody, I used to tell the staff, I said, listen, if I ever got to the point where I was so big-headed I wouldn't take out some trash. I said, slap me upside the head. So they say, you are in the helps ministry. Never forget it. I don't care what office you stand in. We're all need to be willing to help. And so if we keep that perspective, I'm always willing to work hard and do all those other things. 
for the family's sake. And your children are going to benefit so much by that as you're both, you know, again, say, we're going to pray, we're going to navigate. One of the things that we learned a long time ago was tell the children, um, you know, when they asked for certain things and we, we would want to give it to them, but we just didn't know that we could do it. And to never, ever say to them, we can't afford that. Because that's just giving the devil the total victory, you know, because how do you know you can't afford it? We say, we, we tell you what we'll do. If that's what you want, we'll pray. We will agree with you in prayer and believe God for it. But it's going to be based on your faith, not just ours. We're going to pray and agree with your faith. And so, you know, all those little things start making a big difference with them. They start realizing I'm going to have to report to the Lord myself one day. I'm going to have to answer to the Lord. I'm going to have to be able to do all these things. And so they start learning that it's, and, and setting the pattern for how they're going to live their lives because they're watching you do that with them. So again, it's that daily navigation of the Lord's will. And I would just say, make sure you carve out time for them. You just have to carve it out. I mean, because the enemy will steal it from you in every which way. You probably found that out. I mean, time is always being stolen from you. So you just have to carve it out and make them a priority. Awesome. I, Shelby, we'll let you, what we're going to do is we got, we're going to do one more question, but we will have question and answers tomorrow, but we do want to leave some time for ministering because it's getting a little late. So what we're going to do is we're going to do one more question and then we're going to open up the altar and then tomorrow we'll be able to have time for more question and answer. So uh, Shelby, what you got? Um, my question is I help with my niece and nephew. They are kind of like the parents are not in the picture. So me and my mom basically raised them. And they're eight and five. And it's really hard to like, because I'm the only one really with Jesus. Like, so how do I navigate that? Because they're kind of having like lying. There's lying going on. There's aggravation going on so how do I approach that as an aunt in, in Jesus like what would it what should I how should I well one of the things that uh, I really believe that helps curb people's behaviors or different things even for children is letting them know whatever you sow is what you're going to reap so there's, you know we are we live in God's kingdom he created this and there's just some rules that always work if you don't want to be lied to, don't lie to other people. Because you're not going to like it when you get lied to. And you're going to be really offended. So you tell the little children, say, always tell the truth. It's one of the, one of the Ten Commandments is always tell the truth. But the reason the Lord's given us all those rules that are, you know, his immutable, unchangeable, godly value. It's, it's his value system. And we need to want to have the same value system God has because there's great reward in that. But then there's all kinds of heartache in not valuing what God values because whatever you sow, you are going to reap. And so trying to teach children those kind of things that, you know, they don't want to be treated badly. They don't want all these other things, but you know, that's why you learn how to treat other people. You know, the, it, it really, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you realize that's the kind of stuff that they teach you in kindergarten. And some of the most important lessons you're ever going to learn in life, you learned in kindergarten. You know, be nice to other people. Don't take anybody else's stuff. You know, don't lie to people. All those things, because if you don't, if you sow that bad seed, sure enough, it's going to happen to you and you're going to be really sad that you, you didn't correct it in yourself. So it's part of that. And it's a tough position when you're not the parent to be able to 
do that. But any person that's living godly before, he will anoint you to be an example for them that they want to emulate in that way. So I think you'll see some success that way as well. I, we, we're going to pray. Awesome. Can I pray for everybody at some point? We would just do, uh, pray for all the marriages and just in a group prayer and a blanket prayer. Uh, pray for all the single people. How many of the single people are dating somebody right now? How many are not married that want to get married? Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So what we're going to be, so if you're seeing someone. <laughs> so anyway, we, you know, I believe that what God does is that you know, the church is really supposed to be like a family too. And so it's the, the big family with, and your little family works into it, but we, we, we get the strength of one another. That's why God puts us together so that we can pray for one another. We can emulate people that have done it well and successful. We want to emulate this. This thing I love about the church, like when we went to Ramah, Brother Hagen was 65 when I got there and he was 70, whatever. Man, I wanted to listen to somebody who had the wisdom of God for a lot of years. Now today, you know, people say, well, I don't even want a pastor that's over 30. Well, you're listening to John Lennon because he says, don't never trust anybody over 30. You know, don't trust the Beatles. You know, it didn't work for him. <laughs> so yes, look for wisdom and look for the family to be a covering and those things that would, would all be a help to it. But so we want to pray for all of you to get the benefit of being part of the family of God, the body of Christ. And uh, but then the, if there's opposition that's coming against your life, we want to come against that with you in the realm of the spirit too, so that you have the, the breakthroughs. Sometimes you're facing some things that are opposition. You need breakthroughs and you need, and God's, God is the God of breakthrough. Sometimes you're so encouraged when you get, your, your prayer of faith is suddenly answered supernaturally and you say, man, this thing really works. Let's keep doing it. You know, it encourages us to keep going on and on and having the, the good blessings of the Lord working in your lives. So much of the people in the, so many th times in the people in the world, you know, they, they, um, all they're thinking is about is everything they want. Well, guess what? God knows that you need all these other things and he'll really actually bless you more than the people in the world if you do life his way. And you'll get those breakthroughs and those wonderful things. Well, you need it as a married couple. You need it as single people wanting to meet somebody. And God, to, to connect you with it. Pray for that other person in advance that God, we pray for, we've been praying for our kids' spouses for 29 years, you know, in advance. So they have to be prepared. Now, we don't know the ages of them, but God would be doing the preparation for them. And so you've got to be praying that for who you're going to be married and, and to and, and how you're supposed to be. And sometimes you say, Lord... I, you know, pray for that person to be ready. And the Lord might say, yeah, you need to get ready. Okay. So, you know, there's always corrections that go in the preparation time, you know, so you're prepared. You're the one that somebody else is really looking for uh, because you're spiritually where you're supposed to be. But same thing with families and same thing with families raising children. Again, we salute you that are doing that. You are champions in God's army. And, um, we so respect and revere people that do it well because we know the price you have to pay to be able to do There's that. There's a lot of people out there in the world that are not doing it well. But, you know, you are the generation that can or change it, or you can change it in one generation if you came from a family that was dysfunctional on the crazy cycle. And you are the generation that can make a difference, so you do a good job with your kids. Do it the God way. Amen. So... Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, we just come to you and we thank you.
We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for empowering us with the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord. You've cemented us in the body of Christ that loves us, the family of God. And Lord, so we pray for every person that's part of this family in this house today. We know that you have great and wonderful things in store for each and every one of them, Lord. Each one of them are individually and wonderfully fashioned by you to shine like stars among everyone. And yes, we'll find ourselves, Lord, as we're walking together, really needing one another and needing that counsel. We thank you that each one of us will be an open book and be able to share with one another. So what I'm praying for every single, single person in here, Lord, that they will be totally prepared themselves and that you're preparing that spouse for them, whether they're in this church or where they haven't met them yet, they're not going to meet them in a few years. You know exactly who's going to be the best one suited for them, where they're going to feel like they found their mate, their match, somebody that they could be able to say, till death do us part, we're in this for the long haul. Not just for our children, not just for anybody else, but just for us because we want to live this life before. Lord, bless them with that commitment to make it all the way even before they've met the person. So Lord, we thank you that by forming that in them, they're going to be the best spouse that somebody's ever going to come across and they're going to be so delighted that you prepared them for it. Lord, and then we pray for every married couple here. Whether they have children yet or not, we're asking you to give them a bond of love where the husbands will love their wives like Jesus loves the church, willing to lay down their lives, willing to do anything and everything to be a blessing to their family, to their spouse, especially to love their wife, where they that wife knows she's being loved. She always feels the love, knows that she's being cared for. And even teach the husbands how to speak to the wife where they feel the love, they sense the love, they know that they're cherished. And Lord, put that in the wives' hearts that they would respect their husbands. Not for anything they've done. They don't have to earn anything. There's unconditional love, unconditional respect. And what a thing that it just starts. It just energizes each one of us. It causes us and it causes these men to just be willing to stand up and take a bullet for the family if they had to but they're just willing to take their place as men of God and Lord let each one of these wives know what a precious daughter of yours that they are and that you want to look out over them and protect them Lord we're asking you to just cause an anointing to encase these couples to protect them cause the good things of life to come their way as a reward for them doing this right cause great Every provision they need start coming in, Lord, like they've never seen before. Inspire them to pray together, to pray in tongues together. Pray in tongues without ceasing. Uh, stay in the Word as much as they can. Share those things, those good things back and forth, but let them see the results of their faith. Good things coming their way. Health coming to their bodies. We pray, Lord, over every single one of them. We curse sickness and disease in the name of Jesus. We command sickness to leave their bodies right now. We command health to come there. You created them to be healthy in their bodies, to be able to run their race all the way to the finish line. Satan would be trying to steal their health. In Jesus' name, we command you, Satan, get your hands off their bodies. Their bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit of the living God. You can't touch them anymore. In Jesus' name, Lord, bring healing and wholeness and wellness so they have that vitality of life to be able to live it together well. And Lord, those that are husbands and wives raising children, we pray for those children.
to see in the love of God in their parents, to respect their parents, to honor their father and their mother. And that these husbands and wives, they live before their children in a way where it's easy for the children to honor their father and their mother. And that the strength in the family would be so powerful, Lord, that what we will see is a household that just goes the distance. Churches that stay together because the families are strong and suddenly they become a, a soul winning machine because everybody in the community sees, I want my family to turn out like those families. Lord, let that happen in this household of faith because we know your hand is upon it. We know that, Father, you're going to bring more and more wisdom saints, people that are going to love watching what's happening here. They're going to be fed the Word of God themselves. But, Lord, they'll come in with wisdom and they'll say, let us help too. We want to be here and if there's anything we can do, bring those wisdom saints, Lord, that will be like grandfathers to, to the ones that are already parents today themselves <laughs> and great-grandfathers to their children, grandmothers to their children and great-grandmothers to their grandchildren, to their children. So, Lord, we just thank that what you do to mix everything together in the family of God where every need is met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All of our emotions get healed and restored. Each one of us can think right in our right minds, be balanced in our faith and our love for one another. And that every single one of us would want to help and see everything good happen in this family because it's been a blessing to us in this church. We want it to be a blessing for everybody in this church. So we just give you the praise and thanksgiving, Lord. We thank you that we are willing because we know this crazy world is the perfect setup. This is our appointed time. Everything that's crazy that's going on is actually right on time because you're going to cause the greatest move of God in our generation that the world has ever seen. It's like the pendulum swinging the other way. It has already swung so far to the, to the left and to the negative. It's going to swing back the other way, Lord, and we're going to be at the tip of the spear. We're going to be part of that army that is able to win the loss like nobody's business, Lord, because they're going to get hungry. They're going to see a crazy world, and they're going to get hopeless out there, and they're going to come into where the real hope is, where the faith in God is alive. They're going to come into the house of God. Lord, we're encouraged because we're going to see the greatest move of God and people coming into the kingdom and getting restored to you that we've ever seen. So we give you the praise and thanksgiving for it now, right now in Jesus' name. The name that's above every name. We know we're going to live that miracle life. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord.